Well, we're going to turn uh, in our Bibles uh, to Jeremiah 38. So I'd love to have you follow along, whether it's on a smartphone or the Pew Bible or your own Bible. Great way to <clears throat> keep track of where we're going today, Jeremiah chapter uh, 38. You can see uh, by the picture on the screen, the title is uh, Stuck in the Mud. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. I think this is a wonderful text that depicts that. And I'm going to put a verse on the screen. I'm going to read it. Uh, I'll have you guys follow along there. There it is. Uh, This is taken from verse 6. We've already read that lengthy section, but it says, Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malachah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse, and they left, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern there was no water, but only mud, and Jeremiah sank into the mud. Lord, this is your word for us today, and pray now that you would use this word in all of our lives and guide us in accordance to it. May it not return void, but accomplish the purposes for which you now send it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back to that title, Stuck in the Mud. And I've used this before, but I'll share it again, just kind of fun. In my demeanor, just my natural character is pretty upbeat. Right? And I know that that was something that Gloria had to get adjusted to when we got married because, I, you know, we'd get up and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 happy, happy, happy. And Gloria was more sedated at getting up, right? She, yeah, I needed her coffee first. She says, Kirk, she said, let me get my coffee first. And that, so we, that's how it kind of worked. So it worked out good. But there are days, you may think, not many think of this with me because I'm usually pretty outgoing, but have you ever had one of those days or even a week where you're just down in the dumps? And, and maybe there's a specific reason, and oftentimes there is, but even sometimes just in your spirit, you're just, there's a heaviness. Maybe it's something that you know is coming. Maybe it's something that was left undone or something that shouldn't have been done. Or maybe it's just, just in general, a, a sense of foreboding sometimes, and you just get heavy in spirit. And that, that doesn't happen to me a lot, but it does happen. And we get discouraged, or we get depressed, or we get literally down in the dumps, or maybe you've used that phrase, you know, I feel like I'm down in the pits. And that, that's where we oftentimes find ourselves. And this text today, if you've caught that, we read through this, this literally happened to Jeremiah. And I'm going to take a look at this text and apply it uh, literally, but also going to apply it spiritually to our hearts and lives as well. Because this is the question that we need to raise as we think about this text. We think about this text of Jeremiah 38. This is the question that arose in my own mind. How can I be raised from the pit? That's the question today. How can I be raised from the pit? And I'd like to propose that there are three truths, three ideas that we can glean from this text of Jeremiah that will help us to be raised up from that pit. Truth number one is this. Doing right doesn't mean things will go right. Doing right doesn't mean things will go right. Backtrack a little bit. Most of you uh, know what a cistern is if you grew up on a farm. I know I had uh, Paul Millman with us at first service and he said hearing about a cistern brought back PTSD in my mind because as a kid they had to crawl down into the cistern and clean it and it was scary but remember a cistern is literally a hole in the ground it's got a, a covering over it you know maybe two three four foot wide it's got a throat that goes down 
you know, I don't know, 10, 12 feet maybe. And then it's got this big bulb that is kind of cut out of the ground and that's what stores the water. And that's what's being depicted here. So this literally, this thing of a cistern, if you didn't know, is literally a hole in the ground and it's rather deep. And I want you to think about what that would be like to be in a cistern. And I can't imagine a more, that would be just a horrible feeling uh, to be in a cistern. It's, it's dark, it's deep, uh, it's, it's muddy, it's probably smelly, uh, and all of these things are, are part of that. And th- this is where we find Jeremiah in this text. Jeremiah, of course, prophet of God. We've been talking a lot about Jeremiah of but Jeremiah as a prophet was really, ultimately was prophesying or he was declaring God's word to the people uh, in Jerusalem uh, that their city was going to be destroyed. They had been disobedient. They had walked contrary to God's will and God's way. And because of this disobedience, they were going to be punished. So Jeremiah's message was, was a harsh message in our eyes, maybe. But it was, it was a true message. And that's what his message. And these guys then that, that heard this message, of course, they didn't really want to hear it. So they cast Jeremiah into a cistern. Now, I kind of think they're chicken about this too, by the way. Because they didn't want to just outright kill Jeremiah. They could have just killed him. But they said, no, no, let's, let's throw him in the cistern. Because then he'll die, you know, of maybe more natural causes of starvation or, or whatever that case would be. They didn't want to just outright kill him, but they were okay with just throwing him into the cistern and letting him starve to death. I mean, that's crazy, but that's, that's what they were doing. And you may, may ask yourself then, so Jeremiah's in the cistern. How did he get there? And I'm going to talk a little bit today about what I call the culprits or the gang of four. And there were four fellas that really were responsible for putting Jeremiah uh, in the pit. And I want you to think about something. First of all, Jeremiah's message, by and large, was a message of judgment. He was speaking to the consequence that the people were facing because they had fallen into sin and they had refused to repent and had refused to turn from that. So he was speaking a difficult message. And these four fellas, we're going to talk about their names here in just a little bit, But these four fellas, I believe, are a good representation of what we might call the liberal theologians of the day. And and you may have heard or seen or or seen this stuff anyway, but but it's, it's that place or that person that is really focused upon preaching the love of God. And isn't that important? That is important, by the way. God is a God of love. But what's the other side of that? God is also a God of judgment and there is a consequence at living in sin and of going contrary to God's will and God's way and what these guys were these were the liberal theologians they said no we just want to hear about God's love that's all we want to hear about we don't want to hear about God's judgment and that's what got Jeremiah in trouble with these guys is that Jeremiah was bold and he was speaking directly to the consequence of the people's rebellion and the consequence of the people's living in sin and he, w- he was getting in trouble for it. But these guys, these were the guys that wanted the, the tickling of ears. Or I, I, I just want the pastor to talk about things that make me feel good. That's all I want to hear. I want to I feel good about myself. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good about yourself. But not at the extent of approving of sin. <laughs> and not at the extent of allowing a sinful lifestyle to be uh, the mark of your life. And Jeremiah was confronting the people in this, and, and they, they were mad at him, particularly four guys, right? And what's interesting, and I'll take a little bit of time 
uh, to talk about that because I think it's uh, intriguing uh, that their names, the meaning of their names is so counter contrary to what we would have expected. All right. And so take a look. Verse one, this is where all this is at. Verse one, notice the first one's introduced is a guy by the name of Shephatiah. And by the way, Scott, you did a great job pronouncing them. I'm not sure I can pronounce them right. So forgive me if we pronounce them wrong. But Shephatiah. And Shephatiah's name means God has judged. <laughs> and it's interesting, God has judged or the Lord is judge. And by virtue of his name, he should be willing to recognize that the Lord is judge. And yet, and yet he was unwilling to accept God's judgment. Find that ironic. The next one in verse 1 is Gedalia. And Gedalia means God is great or to grow great. And one of the main ways that we can magnify or glorify God is that we, would, that we would magnify him with our actions, that we would walk in obedience. That's one of the best ways. If you want to glorify God, walk in his ways. That's how we glorify God. And by virtue of how this guy was responding to God's message and to God's prophet, he was not walking in God's ways. How about Jukal? Verse 1, Jukal. Jukal means Jehovah is able. Jehovah is strengthening or strong. And it's interesting because by virtue of this strength, this man, by virtue of his name, was going against the strength of the Lord. And that last name, that name, uh, Pasher, uh, is a name that means freedom. And I found it intriguing to think about this, is that Pasher and his four or three friends, rather, they were willing to walk in disobedience and I'll tell you something if, if you want to be in no enslavement continue to walk in sin by virtue of definition that's what, that's what sin does sin enslaves us and sin holds us and sin captures us and by virtue of, of his name here this fella was to be free but by virtue of his name and by his actions, he was really living in bondage. He was not knowing freedom. He was living in bondage. And that's what sin does. Sin binds us. Sin holds us. And sin takes away our freedom. The last idea that I want to build on on this point is, is real simple. This is, for me, the most profound. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. Answer this in your mind. What had Jeremiah done to bring about this situation? What had Jeremiah done? Jeremiah had been obedient to the call of God. Jeremiah had done things right in God's eyes. Jeremiah had done everything exactly as God had told him to do. Jeremiah is a picture of a man that did everything right on an even keel. He, he was straight on for God. And I want you to reflect upon this, that Jeremiah was doing everything right, but things were not going right in his life. He was in a cistern, by the way. And I know this is one of those truths I think it's hard for us to believe because what, what do we want to believe? 
And, and what, you know, you, this is true to a certain degree. When we walk in God's ways, when we walk in accordance to God's will, what is going to happen? We, we want to be blessed. We receive blessing. And that's true. When we order our lives in accordance to God's will, things generally go, go well because that's how God has designed it. However, we have to also recognize that there are times when you may be doing things absolutely right and absolutely in accordance to God's will, and you find yourself that things may be right but they're going wrong. You ever invested in a big project and just poured out your soul into something and gave it your all only to have it fail? You, you, you ever been investing in a relationship and trying to do everything right in this relationship and it fails? That, that's, that's, you do everything right and yet it doesn't go right. And that, that's true. That could happen to us. And that's what Jeremiah found himself at. He found himself literally in a pit. But as he was in that pit, I'm sure that he began to think just a little bit. I know I would. I did everything right. I did everything in accordance to God's word and to God's will. And yet here I am in a pit. And I want us to recognize that that's not an exemption for us. That you may do everything right. And you still may end up at a place where things go wrong. So that leads us to point number two. And this is where, what are we going to do with that? So you wrestle with that first point. Doing right doesn't mean things will go right. Now, oftentimes they do, of course, but not all the time. So what do we, what do, we do with that? I think that we need to understand the second truth that we need to look to today is this. We need to recognize that help is on the way. <laughs> That even when things are going wrong, help is on the way. And I am confident that Jeremiah knew that. I am confident that Jeremiah was well aware of a text like Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, that he knew that help was on the way. And I want you to be assured of this, that Jeremiah was remembering back to chapter 1, verse 8, when Jeremiah was called, and God made him a promise in that call, verse 8 of Jeremiah 1, where God said, Surely I will be with you. There was a promise that God made to Jeremiah and there was a promise that God makes to all who believe that I am with you. And it's in those times, especially when we are in the pit then, that we can comfort our hearts and our souls to know that help is indeed on the way. That there has been a promise made, a promise committed to you and to me that I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go, even if you're in the cistern, even if you're in the pit. And I believe that's what Jeremiah clung to. He clung to that truth that, that there was this help that was promised and it was Jehovah Jireh, it was God himself that promised him this help. However, I want us to recognize something here. That this help indeed came, but it was going to come from a very unexpected source. Could God, question, could God have sent an angel and just plucked Jeremiah out of the pit and made a big scene of things? Could he have done that? Can I get an amen? Yeah, God could do that. But what did God do? He used a guy named Ebed-Melech. And by the way, Ebed-Melech, as we read in the text, he was essentially a slave. He was an officer to the king. Some of your versions has a eunuch to the king. This man literally is an unknown in Scripture, except right here, Ebed-Melech. And he was an unknown. And yet this most unexpected source became the source of that help. So, so what did he do? First of all, notice this. 
that Ebed-Melech was convinced that what was done to Jeremiah was wrong and he was going to do something about it. And Ebed-Melech knew that there was never a wrong time to do what's right. So he went to the king. And I want you to know this. This was most likely under the possibility of loss of life by going in to talk to the king. And by the way, remember who this king was? What had this king just done? This is the same king that said, yeah, go ahead, throw Jeremiah into the cistern. So now he's going back to this king and he's saying, oh king, this was wrong. So king, the king, you know what the king had to do? The king had to make a decision. First of all, the king would have to confess that yes, I was wrong. And I hope that all of us can be men and women that are big enough to admit that sometimes we're wrong. And sometimes we make mistakes. I think the king here realized that. He, he, he had made a mistake. He had made an error in judgment. And Ibed melech when he came in and asked him that, he granted him permission uh, to take these 30 men he gave them to go and to get Jeremiah out of the cistern. But what I love about that is that Ibed melech wasn't afraid of the king. In fact, he was ready to risk uh, his job and his position with the king in order to see the king change course. And I want to offer up a word of encouragement today that, yeah, God could have sent an angel, God could have done all kinds of things, but this help came from a very unexpected source. And it came through what I always say are means. Right? It came through a means. And I want you to recognize today that sometimes, and maybe oftentimes, God uses you as the means of rescue. And, and what I mean by that is this. There are most likely people in your life right now that are in the pits and need somebody to draw near to them to encourage them to pray for them to bring blessing and favor into their lives and I, and I sometimes think that, that that's us we too easily excuse ourselves but, but God yes he can work in miracles but I think more often than not God works through people such as you and I that, that's who God uses he uses people like you and me to serve others and to bring glory to himself and then the last idea under this point know that help was on the way notice the direction this help came from where did it come from it came from above <laughs> necessarily right I mean he's in a cistern he's in a pit but help came from above and I want us not to miss the powerful image that is there regarding our own salvation Jeremiah was saved from above and in same fashion, Christ came down. Christ came down and died on the cross. We too are saved from above. There is not a single individual, just like Jeremiah, nobody could draw themselves out of the pit. Jeremiah, no matter how big or how strong or how mighty he was, he could never draw himself out of that pit on his own. In similar fashion, there is nobody here today that can save themselves. We need a Savior. We need a Savior to come down and rescue us from the pit of damnation and from the pit of hell. And the good news is what? That Jesus has done that. He's done that. We don't have to wait. He's done that. Because help has come down. So dear friends, when you are in a pit, when you are at a place of despair, know that help is on the way. And then know this last idea, cast-offs, have immense value. And originally when I had started to pray over this text, this was the 
my main point. I, I, I love this. And again, I'm, I'm kind of weird when I read scripture. I, I notice, I have a tendency to notice little words or odd phrases. And this is the one that I was reading this. Notice in chapter 38, look at verse 11 and verse 12. Twice uh, in these texts, it talks about worn out clothes and worn out rags. Worn out clothes and worn out rags. Verses 11 and 12. And that, I don't know what it was. I mean, I'm weird, okay, I say that. But I was reading that and I was like, oh, this is, this is so cool. And the reality is this, is that kings in that day, it was not uncommon, they would have a storehouse to keep all their old junk. <laughs> all the clothes that had been torn or tattered or were worthless or useless. They had a storehouse that they put these clothes in. And it was from this storehouse of old, useless, trashed clothing that Ebed-Melech located the very objects that were to be instrumental in drawing Jeremiah out of the pit. Something that most people would just throw away and not think again was used very powerfully to draw Jeremiah out of the pit. And I want us to think about that really hard today because I think all of us at certain times in our lives, have you ever felt worthless? You ever felt useless? You think back to some big sin in your past or your life or you think of a failed relationship or a failed marriage even. You think of uh, something that's disastrous in your life even now maybe nobody even knows about that you're dealing with and you're wrestling with and as you wrestle with this, you're thinking to yourself, man, because of this mess that I'm in, God could never use me. I am worthless, I am useless, and I am worn out. (laughs) You ever feel like that? And I would suspect there are some of you that do. I know I have before. And that's why this is such an encouragement because what happens in this text? That very object that was tossed out and thrown away found immense value in being used to raise Jeremiah up. In fact, it brought comfort to him as they wrapped it around his shoulders, around his armpits in order to be raised out of that pit. And it was these worthless things that God used powerfully for Jeremiah's deliverance. And my point to close today is this, is that God has a knack of using that which is broken, that which is deemed useless or worthless or worn out. God has a knack of using those exact items for his greatest work and his great glory. And I pray that you would hear that today. That you would know that that you are not worthless. You are not worn out. You are not disregarded or a cast off. There is no such thing as that in God's kingdom and in God's economy because cast offs have immense value. I'm going to close uh, today with an example of a fellow that I had uh, actually listened to his interview and I had been doing some reading uh, his name is Rene uh, Martinez, and nickname was Level. And Rene Level Martinez uh, was a bad man. 
as you can probably tell by that king's shirt there pointing that revolver in your face. Uh, Rene uh, Level Martinez was the founder and leading member of a group of uh, gangs called the Latin Syndicate, and you may have heard of that. It was a very fearsome uh, group of up to 300 uh, gang members down in southern Florida. And Rene Martinez speaks that when he was a child, he grew up in a home where his mother literally was like a devil worshiper. And he remembers uh, literally animal sacrifices in the house and blood in the bathtub and all this stuff. So he said, almost immediately in my life, there was a hold of Satan upon me. There was this force of evil that was always present. And he found out that as he grew older, the only way that he could eat, literally, the only way he could eat, his mom was addicted to drugs and all this other stuff. The only way that he could eat, even as a youngster, was to go out and rob people. He had to go out and steal and to rob and to beat people up and all these things. So that's, that's how he got uh, to the place that he was at. He eventually uh, became even a bare-knuckle uh, fighter, MMA artist, a rap star, all of these things. Again, it was really just to, to promote and to edify his life of crime. And it was interesting because he came to a place, he had, he had been near death, he said, countless times. He had been shot at, he had been stabbed, he had stabbed, he had shot. He had all this, you could just this whole life. If you're the leader of the Latin syndicate, this is the kind of life you're going to lead. Until April of 2016. And Rene had uh, come in contact with a man that had been witnessing to him and had really exemplified what a life of faith looks like. And Rene Martinez, in April of 2016, came to a place of being baptized. And he said it was so profound and so significant, he said, and, and this is why this just struck me, he said, literally, he said, at his baptism, he said, Jesus, Jesus pulled me out of the pit. <laughs> Jesus pulled me out of the pit. And I think that when you look at his life, and if you ever watch his interview, you're going to think, man, this is a guy that is, is he's too far gone. <laughs> but again, dear friends, nobody is too far gone. There's nobody that is worthless or thrown out. Everyone is valuable and precious to God. And I pray that this account would be an encouragement. Rene Level Martinez is now a street preacher. <laughs> going down in Miami and elsewhere preaching Jesus to gangbangers and, and telling them that, that there, is a, there is a transformation that occur when Jesus raises you up from the pit. And I'm going to close uh, today with this statement. The Lord has the power to deliver you from every pit. And I want you to think today about the pit that maybe you're in today. I, I don't know what that may or may not be. But whatever that pit is, please know the Lord has the power to deliver you from it. Heavenly Father, use this word now as you've already used it in my life, and I thank you for that. And I want to pray now, God, your grace over it, and that it would not return void, but accomplish the purposes for which you now send it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.